They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menzoir. Hast du es quasi für mich? Dann sing ich mein Lied für dich, wenn dein Love lohnt. Auf dem Weg rund um Horizont, dann kommt wieder gerade um mich. Dann sing ich ein Lied für dich, wenn dein Love lohnt. Und das sowas, wenn sowas kommt, nein, die Ob. Yeah. Oh ja. Das ist fantastisch. Fantastisch. Okay, look. Look, ja. Look, ja. You're welcome, Germany. Why did we do that? You know, Germany just slid into the number two spot for... What? Uh, followers, listeners, what do you want to call them? They jumped Fans. over Canada and the UK? And France. All of them. Straight to the top. So, in honor of our German listeners, there you go. We just murdered 99 <laughs> Totally. The only German face. song we actually know in the U.S. <laughs> You're welcome. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Thoughts That Rock, uh, your favorite podcast about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice that we squeeze into about half an hour or so, depending on the person we're interviewing. The guest has yes. nothing to do with us. <laughs> we want we just, it. This would be a 10-minute episode. We it, tell them in advance it's 30 right. minutes, and they, they take advantage. Sometimes. So listen, it doesn't really matter what format that you're listening to the podcast. You could be mm-hmm. on Chrome or Google Podcasts or iTunes, whatevs. What doesn't ebbs? matter to us. Mm-mm. You know what would be cool? What? If not you personally, oh. but just general, Sorry. you, the audience, Go if ahead. they would stop what they're doing... And just give us a rating and a review. <laughs> just stop. Just just have a second. Again, you're not talking to me. No. Okay. Just give us a rating and a review. That would be awesome. That would help grow the show and put some eyeballs on our podcast because there's actually a philanthropic component to it. Yeah, they're shopping, yes. I'm sorry? Thoughts That Rock supports Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding treatment options for kids who have been told that there are no more options. So if you would, please go visit cannonballkidscancer.org and see what you can do to join the fight just like us. They are so fantastic. And listen, we understand how busy everybody is. I bet Super you busy. life is coming at you at about 100 miles an hour. and. You know, grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom, we like Mm -hmm. to say over here at TTR, they're hard to come by, Yep. which is why it doesn't really matter what you're doing right now. I know you're listening to the show, but Mm -hmm. you might also be, I don't know, repairing athletic shoes. Ow. Maybe you're squeezing Boston cream filling into donuts. Or maybe you're taking a long, hot shower after watching Tiger King. 99 red balloons. Doesn't really matter to us. We just want to be the 30 to 40 minutes you've been looking forward to all week. Let's do it. Our guest today is my good friend, Lori Rudiman, who is a writer and a speaker and a consultant and a podcaster in the human resources space. And uh, man, I just, I love her podcast, Punk Rock HR. It's one of the 
fastest growing management and business podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and oh, Pandora. Weren't you just on it? I just was. Yes. Really? I was very lucky to be a guest oh, on there. Thank uh, you. We've uh, done a little bit of podcast swap here. Uh, at least one of us was. <laughs> well, it depends on how today goes. She may invite you. <laughs> this, Lori, this is sort of an intervention. Welcome to Thoughts That Rock. <laughs> Well, hey team, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a this is a, a blast for us, and uh, you know, I hope people really do check out your bio, which, by the way, we're going to have in the show notes. But I definitely wanted to just pull out a couple cool highlights. You know, Lori's background; she's a former HR leader. Her background. Interesting enough, starts in a candy company and then eventually mm-hmm. leads to some pretty big brands like Monsanto and Unilever. Um, I think we started um, seeing you blog back in 2004 while you were working at Pfizer. And, you know, like you like to say, you were telling stories that would likely get you fired. So we're <laughs> interested in hearing about some of that. Um, but really, Lori's always been known for her common sense style and straightforward approach to workforce issues. And, you know, we're just so excited. I, I hope also we get a chance to talk about your upcoming book, which is called Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally take control of your career. And I know that that is uh, due out in January. So we're just thrilled that you're here, Lori. And I know if you've listened to the show before, we do things a little bit differently here. We, uh, we're definitely not going to go and do the long interview format. We are obviously looking for great pieces of advice. So we're going to leave the floor open to you. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number one. Well, I believe that a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. It's just that easy. Love that. Where did that, where did that come from? Well, years ago, I met my father-in-law for the first time, and he was an old-school kind of corporate guy. Traditional male, head of household, loved Christmas, loved his family, and really imbued a sense of all the ideas of masculinity in the 60s and 70s and 80s. He could fix a car. He's never going to pay anybody to do something that he could do. (laughs) And we were talking about painting or some random chore around the house. And he looked at me and said, you know, Lori, a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. And I didn't grow up with like a strong male role model. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, in that moment, it just resonated with me to the point that I think it might be haunting me (laughs) because every time I do something, I'm like, why am I doing it? And if I'm going to do it, I should do it well or don't do it at all. And this applies to taking care of foster kittens. It applies to speaking. It applies to writing a book. But even when I'm walking down the beach and I see a piece of trash, I just cannot walk past that piece of trash. Mm -hmm. Like it It just haunts me. So for good or for evil... My father-in-law gave me a work ethic, and I'm really forever grateful to him for that. This is really putting a dent in my half-assed Wednesdays, um, but uh, <laughs> that's okay, Lori. That's all right. I, I think you I know, can readjust. <laughs> you know, the, the flip side of this is that if I don't think I'm going to do something well, I don't do it, which is my <laughs> excuse for being lazy. So I'm like, no, job worth doing is job worth doing well. I can't do it well, so... Effort, you know. <laughs> so that um, it's a double-edged sword. But I'm I'm very grateful to Walter, my father-in-law, for just taking the best aspects of masculinity and modeling them. Um, really super healthy. So yeah, 
it's funny because <clears throat> I know you're, you're halfway kidding, but I know you, Brant. You don't do anything kind of half-assed. And I do know a lot of people that will just do something for the sake of getting it out there and trying it and, you know, w- working through it eventually. I can't stand that. I think I am probably more like you are, Lori, that I've, I, I'm of the same cloth, the same mindset that I would much rather make sure that everything is buttoned up before I put it out there in the public domain. I just, it freaks me out to do something that would be half ass. And then I don't know, it just reflects on me, on the brand. And I've always been like that, I guess, no matter what it is, personally, professionally, I'm all in if I'm going to do something. You know, that's interesting because as entrepreneurs, we have to find that right balance between being first to market and being creative and taking a risk. And I think that if you have a work ethic and you demonstrate integrity, the market will forgive a product that's 50%, you know, and if you know you have integrity, the thing you put out there is just a beta test. It's an experiment. So I try not to get in my way of innovation, of good ideas. I try to say things before they're perfectly formed, knowing that I've done the work throughout my whole entire life of having an opinion. So even if it's not fully baked, it still is built on a foundation of something with substance. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, Lori, how do you explain the Snuggie? <laughs> the Snuggie? It, yes. I mean, if a job worth doing is <laughs> a job <laughs> worth doing well. Somebody stopped halfway? Is that what you're saying? Somebody phoned it in, I think, on a really long sweatshirt is basically what a Snuggie is. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think the I, – I, I agree with you that um, there is a balance that I think you have to find between um, – you know, th- this idea of uh, doing it well, I think the question is, how do you define well? <laughs> is well perfect or is well, well enough? And that... Well, let me ask yeah. you, let me ask you this. Is the sweatshirt what was phoned in and the Snuggie is the iteration of the sweatshirt that we're talking about right now? Look, your fancy right? talk, Lori, isn't going to go over well here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> is the Snuggie the thing that rocks? And the sweatshirt is the thing that's half-assed because the sweatshirt came first, right? But the Snuggie, Mm. I actually think, is kind of better because it's longer, there's more fabric, it's softer. And if Mm -hmm. you give me a choice between a sweatshirt and a Snuggie, first of all, I live in North Carolina. It's too warm for any of those things. But like on a chilly winter night by the fire, I want a Snuggie. I think that sounds fantastic. (laughs) So I think Snuggie... Is the job worth doing? Well? I love That's that our answer. young audience is going to be running to the show notes to look <laughs> up right. Snuggy. That's right. That's <laughs> called no something different now. Yes, it's been it's been reinvented on TikTok, and so it's something called completely different. Exactly. I think it's you know I, I think it's right though. I, you know, my grandfather, my father as well. You know, they are while the innovation of my father might be duct tape in a variety of uses uh, that they were not intended for. Um, It is still one of those things, though, that he's... It's so funny you say that, because if I think of my dad, if we are are carrying something in the back of his truck and he has to tie it down, there are at least 536 knots that he ties (laughs) because the job (laughs) worth doing it, you know, he makes sure as opposed to me who would be like one shoelace knot, you know, that I would circle and have the thing back and forth and just cross my fingers and hope that things, you know, don't go terribly wrong. But I think you're right. I think there has to be, um, I guess my question would be, 
in order to do something well, what what's required? How's that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. In order to do something well, I think you begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, years ago, I had a startup, and um, it failed, like 99% of startups fail, you know, so that, that's okay. I'm not ashamed of that. But I think one of the things that I'm really disappointed by in that experience is that I kind of had an idea of the product. I kind of had an idea of the team, but the only real vision I had was exiting, <laughs> and that mm-hmm. was my dream with the startup. And if I could do it all over again, I would be less caught up in the hype. And it's not that I wasn't concerned about the user experience or the product or the way that we developed it. All of that was important to me. But I had a lot of investors in my ear. And I think when you don't have a solid end in mind, everything else can get corrupted. So that could be painting a kitchen. That could be organizing a party. If you don't have a real good vision of how this is supposed to go, yeah. who knows what it's going to end up like. So that's what I think. What do, you, what do you all think? I, I think as an entrepreneur, you can do that. I, I think maybe, you know, you were talking about your father-in-law, but maybe also your human resources background, you know, it, and maybe this goes back to your question, Brian. If you're trying to do something well, and, and just sort of get it across the line and it's the beta and whatever. I think that's fine when you're an entrepreneur and you can fail magnificently, but you don't want to be practicing on humans, you know, when you're, when you're in a HR leader role. So probably that, that mindset of you, you want to make sure that the job is done as good as you possibly can. You want to clean all of it up, get as much of it in a, you know, with some finality as much as possible. You, you still, you know, I, I absolutely know from your background like me, you probably attack everything with passion and commitment and hard work and making sure it's as far as it can possibly go before you put it out there. And I would think in that HR role has probably helped you out. Cat Cole causes the uh, the hustle muscle, right? She mm-hmm. says, you know, work as hard as you absolutely can, but when it's time, you need to get it out there as soon as possible um, and, and don't ever stop at it. You know, even if something isn't broken, you still want to break it to make it better. And I think I'm sort of of that same mindset. Um, so I don't know, I guess uh, uh, my question would have been, don't you think you also probably had this ingrained in you in your former life before you jumped off the the platform into entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a fair question. And anything that Kat Cole says, gold. <laughs> like that woman is amazing. She's Consider a rock star. Consider me the fangirl of the century. Yes. Um, but, I, you know, I hear you in that when you work in uh, different industries where a lot is on the line and people need to get paid, they yeah. need to be treated with respect, there needs to be a culture of safety, you cannot afford to mess up. And I think that's right. And so you begin with the end in mind, you know, safety, dignity, self-worth, respect, and then you engineer your processes back from that. And that's really important. But I also think far too many times we make a bigger deal out of things than it needs to be. And we don't allow for mistakes. We don't allow for growth. And really growth is the outcome of people learning a new perspective through failure. Hmm. So if we don't have a culture where you can make mistakes and learn from them, how do we ever expect to be able to do the next cool thing in our organization or to get a leg up on our competition who's too stiff to even take a risk? So for me, working in human resources really had me prioritize what we had to do right first time, that old Jack Welsh, Mm -hmm. Six Sigma way of thinking, and then 
what we can kind of be creative with. And we can be creative with a lot more than we truly believe. Like we can be creative in staffing, in hiring, in training, if we get the basics right. But the problem so often, and we're seeing this now with the social justice movement, is that we didn't get the basics right. Yeah. We have not been evaluating and assessing people fairly. And we knew it. And we're like, well, we don't know how to solve it. And we're confused and we're listening and we're going to start a book club. I think those days are over. And if you were part of a system that was biased, that was discriminatory, and you didn't act before the last two weeks, You've got to look at your own complicity. Yeah. That's what I think. And, and I know you talk about this, obviously, on your podcast, but in, in the work that you do in your consulting world, especially when you're talking about helping leaders fix their work, I know that's some of the language that you use. Do you talk about some of this stuff? I mean, whether it's, you know, not just the, the, the themes that are going on right now in society, but in general, when you talk about, you know, doing the job well and making sure that you're putting in 100%. Um, you know, what, what are some of those things that you talk about in that consulting life? Yeah. You know, for years I've been pushing it uh, back against this idea of productivity as if productivity has ever been measured accurately. The other thing I push Mm -hmm. back against are employee feedback results, right? And the purchase of technology suites that are built on continuous listening. You can buy all the technology in the world if you don't have a culture where people feel comfortable speaking truth to power and talking about their own experiences. No continuous listening platform is going to give you insights like they claim they're going to. So I really go in and whatever an organization is facing in terms of a challenge from an HR standpoint, really try to get down to the root cause. And oftentimes, the root cause is that the people are just being human and difficult. And management is like, ah, these people are so sticky. And never in my life would I ever allow a finance person to say, I don't like numbers. (laughs) Never in my life would I allow a marketing person to say, I don't like data. I don't know why we let leaders say things like, I don't understand people. We need expertise. If you don't understand people, you shouldn't be in a leadership role. So Mm -hmm. every situation, every consulting engagement is different. But when I go in, there's always this like root cause analysis of either not understanding or not respecting the humanness of employees. And um, I have to tell you, I'm hopeful though, that we're, I don't know if we're starting to turn a corner, but we're having better conversations. Thanks, which is a weird thing to thank. Thanks to COVID. Thanks to Black Lives Matter. We are really starting to talk about the innate humanness of individuals. Yeah. I, as I'm sort of sitting here listening and I'm writing down, you know, my, my thought was, what are the challenges to your thought of a job worth doing is a job worth doing well? Um, the challenges that I've come up with, uh, thus far, Lori are speed, I think Mm -hmm. is a challenge. Um, preparedness, maybe caring, you know, it's like if, if, if somebody's pushing you to do something faster than it can be done, uh, doing it well is always going to be potentially compromised, yeah. right? right? If you are underprepared, if you just, for whatever reason, haven't put in the time to come up with a plan to execute, then that could be a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. Not giving a shit yeah. <laughs> is yeah. definitely a challenge to doing something well. Mm-hmm. Are there others that you can think of that might be a challenge sure. to that? Yeah, there's budget. Oh, yeah. 
I can't do this because I don't have the funds available. That's There's a good one. personal bandwidth. You know, you're being asked to do too much, and it's just physically impossible for you to spend the time or the energy in doing that job and doing it well. But, you know, I write about this in my upcoming book, Not to Be That Person, but when did we forget that we can say no? Yeah. yeah. When did we forget that? Like, we say no in other areas of our lives, and we take that risk, and we put ourselves first, and we have integrity. Why Why don't we do that at work? And I, there are all kinds of different power differentials, but we don't even try to say no anymore. And I think that's the thing that's super challenging for me and for the people who come to me. Like, how do I say no and I don't get fired? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may not survive saying no, but I think the amount of people who get fired in America for saying no is overstated. Like, It is so hard to fire people. It is absolutely hard to fire people. I dare you to say no and try to get fired, right? You know? <laughs> Having worked in human resources, I can say that with full confidence. It is very (laughs) difficult to fire somebody. So my advice to people is you've got to try. Only you can fight for what you think is right. Only you can fight for your time, your attention. Only you can fight for your values. And so if you know your values, you know what you believe in, and you're being asked to do something, you can say no but or no and. It doesn't have to just be no and I'm a jerk. But I think we need to start practicing know a little bit more in our society. You know, know, what do you guys think about I that? I think on the flip side of that is um, maybe to put your, your your thought in a different context. If you're a person with a great idea and you're hearing no, don't allow that to stop you. So yeah, oh, we should be okay with saying yeah. no, but you know, if, if it, the idea is worth doing, you got to figure out a way to make that happen. And it might be some upward delegation with your boss. It might be getting some other shareholders, stakeholders to go with you. Maybe it's approaching it differently. Maybe it's talking in the right business speak. Um, so, so I'm with you. I think there are times where you can just step away and say no, but if you're on the other end, you know, don't, don't take that for granted either. That's really wise. And I really feel as if sometimes when we hear no, it's because we've actually over communicated our idea or we Mm. haven't communicated it accurately. And instead of giving someone the whole enchilada, right, give them a small taste, give them a bite, Mm -hmm. give them something tiny, let them say yes to something that like app, that snack, that little thing and entice them. I mean, every great relationship starts off with a little romance, right? You don't show everybody your flaws right away. Otherwise, you never get married. Trust me, I know this. I've been married 18 years. You know, these things come out eventually, but you don't show it all up front. And so I just think there's um, a communication style that comes in with um, trying to get people to say yes. And sometimes we just blow it. We just throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks. Yeah. And I think we also have some work to do on that in order to get to yes. And sometimes they find your flaws and you're not together <laughs> I was, anymore. I was just thinking, I mean, the, the 13-year-old boy I'm inside sorry. of me was like, I was so disappointed. She said, show everybody your flaws. I'm like, that's uh, that's okay. Um, you know, Lori, I, I think that it's really, this is a really interesting thought for me in this idea of being able to say no at work. Um, so in, I, in my book, uh, that's also coming out very soon. Um, I talk about the opposite. I'm going to talk about my book in just you, a moment. It, yes. Well, the difference, Jim, is our, our books actually have something to say. Wow. Um, but the mine's a picture book. Thank you. Say no. Um, the idea in the book, uh, Lori, is that we accept when we when we accept the job, we accept the rules that come along with the job. And if your boss comes up to you and says, you know what are the, uh, here, here are the goals for 2021. 
and we would love to know how you're going to help us achieve those goals, we would never, ever look at, at our boss and go, I think I'm going to wing it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think yeah. I'm, I'm going to wing it. And, and we would, what do we do? We, we show them PowerPoint presentations. We show them Excel spreadsheets. We show them, here are the six gates that I'm going to get through. And here's, here's the timeline of which I'm going to execute to. And they have all the things because we, we know that when we do that, we, we gather the attention, show them that we are prepared. And that's how we climb that corporate ladder. Um, but when it comes to our own life, we wing it. We don't have a plan. We don't have anything like that at all. And we just accept the fact that we are winging it. And even if we think we're not good at it, we still do it all the time. And I love that this is almost the reverse of that, which is um, just say no. (laughs) You know, the the funny thing for me is in my life, I say no all the time in my personal life. You know, hey, you want to eat this fish? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not interested. (laughs) I don't care if you love fish. I don't care if I'm in a dinner with somebody and they're serving. I ain't eating that. Um, But when it, when we when we shift to work, how much does everything change? We would never ever think of saying no. But I love that this is um, this idea that maybe with, maybe saying no gives us an opportunity to do something well. And I love that. Well, I love that you bring this up because we don't necessarily verbally have to say no either. One of the ways that we can say no is by getting a new job. Like yes. there are so many yeah. individuals out there who are like, I don't like my management. My leadership team has their heads my up their podcast butt. podcast co-host, yes. Right, right, exactly. And you know, you can say no with your time, attention, and your feet. Get the heck out of there. So it's really um, as if people forgot that they have choice. We have, I think, some ingrained, learned helplessness in our collective culture right now. Yeah. And we don't like to make tough choices, but who the heck likes making tough choices? But on the other side of those tough choices is opportunity, is freedom, is individual accountability to own your day, to be autonomous, to enjoy your life. So I would encourage people who think that they can't say no, they can't quit, to read this book by Bob Sutton called The No Asshole Rule. And it's a couple of years old now, but mm-hmm. Bob Sutton is a professor at Stanford, and he tells people, if you're in a toxic work environment or a job you hate, look around. Because all those people around you that suck, they used to be like you. They were optimists, <laughs> and they just gave in, rolled over, and if you think you're going to make them like you, it's more likely you're going to become like them. So get the heck out. And I love that book. So it, it's highly so recommend it. It's so funny that you bring that up, too, because I think you know, it's so easy for probably the three of us to talk about not not just staying in a job that you hate. I get that there are people that have to be in some type of job where they've they've you know maybe that's their only skill. That's how they've made their money, and to make the type of leap that you're talking about is a huge huge deal for them. But you know, I've shared this before on other podcast um, episodes where almost the the main jobs that I think about, I'm a long timer. You know, three years or more for most of them, but. Like everybody else, I've had several small jobs along the way, but all of those were for a short period of time. I mean, I knew for a fact it wasn't going to be my career choice, but to your point on your thought, I still gave it a hundred percent, you know, yeah. and it may not be that the the job was worth doing. Somebody had to be doing it. I just knew that it wasn't for me. So I definitely took that advice and just said, I'm going to vote with my feet. It's not in my future. It's not in my values to to stay here. And again, I know that's so easy to say versus do, 
Um, but maybe what this does is it leads perfectly also into into our thought, which is hopefully a nice corresponding one to to yours, Lori Brant. What is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number two. So our thought that rocks comes from uh, a basketball coach, Tim Naki, who's actually a high school basketball coach. And his thought is this, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And this has been, you know, sort of taken up by the Tim Tebow's of the world and, and others who have sort of tried to live out this mantra and understand, especially in the sports world, mm-hmm. right, where... Um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't want to work hard when you have the yeah, I, I i'm reminded of gosh when alan iverson was was in his heyday uh playing for the 76ers uh he didn't want to work hard in practice mm-hmm. because why should he it's practice mm-hmm. right i only work hard during the games and and the idea of allowing talent to not work hard uh is what separates champions um, the best of the best, you know, the, the whole documentary series just came out on ESPN with, with Michael Jordan and the, you know, the 90, was it the 97 bulls or whatever it was the last year of sort of that dynasty and how hard he was on his team, even during practice. I mean, the, it was just, you watched him even in uh, playing, uh, on the Olympic team Mm -hmm. and the practices became like these fiercely fought battles (laughs) um, because that hard work is born there. Right. And, and if you can carry that over, I think when I look at this Lori and I say, um, you know, if a job worth doing well, uh, when we describe or define well in whatever way we're going to, there's going to have to be some hard work involved. Um, and we can't just rely on some God-given talent to always bail us out if we're not willing to work hard. Is that sort of maybe what your experience has been in the HR world? Dude, I have to say, I have very little talent. Like, and I'm not just saying that, like, I am the first person in my family to finish college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had like this degree in English. So I'm like, eh, I don't have any real skills. So I'll go work in human resources. And from there, I worked in HR for over a decade in jobs that I hated more and more. And the only real thing I could do was complain. Like that was my talent. <laughs> Super but I practiced good complaining on the internet. Yeah. And I wrote. <laughs> And I developed, um, and I mean, I had some natural aptitude for writing, but I wasn't like writing Charles Dickens novels when I was young, you know? And I really, through the practice of writing every single day, developed a voice, developed a tone. And then I started studying rhetoric and really trying to understand what it is that I'm writing and understand how to compose a sentence and what a point of view is and what plot is. And so I did some studying that way. And I would say that any success that I've had in this world as a writer is not because I was born to write. I think I was born to eat ice cream, but I was really practicing all those years of complaining. And so not a day goes by that I don't write 500 words, even if I'm just complaining about local politics or or whatever, you know, they want to put up condos at my favorite park. And I'm so mad about that. Right. So I wrote a letter to my councilman. Those are my 500 words today. So (laughs) I am writing every single day. So I would agree with you. Hard work beats talent because I think talent is overrated and overestimated. Mm -hmm. It's funny. You should talk about the writing. We were just talking before we got on the show. Brant and I are both supposed to, 
have some uh, some writing things done, I think, by today, and we've avoided yeah, both of those. <laughs> Neither one of us have done what we were supposed to have done by we're, today. We like to speak. We like to talk. Yeah. Writing. <laughs> That's I work. know. Believe me. I'm with you. I'm with you. For trombone. me, though, I can't speak unless I've done the hard work of because for me, writing is actually thinking. And so I need to put my thoughts down before I go on stage. Now, I've done some improv training and I've done enough keynotes that I can wing it, but I prefer not to. I prefer to write. And I think knowing your style, though, and practicing around that is so incredibly important. So both of you are esteemed speakers. I mean, you do this for a living and you've practiced your craft. And so whether it's talent or just the hard work that you've put in, I don't know, debatable, but you both seem pretty talented to me, but that hard work has definitely paid off. Debatable for us too. As yeah. we're looking at each <laughs> other. If you could see us right now, we're literally looking at each other, taking we're credit agreed. for each other. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I like you both. So. <laughs> awesome. Actually, the, uh, when I first saw this thought, um, you know, the first thing I thought about was any given Sunday and, uh, you know, the whole premise of the movie is on any given Sunday, you know, anybody can beat anybody at any time. And, you know, if that wasn't true, you wouldn't see these, these teams upset their favorite, you know, all time favorite group, you know, teams, whatever it is that they would just run the course and they would win out every single sporting event. But things happen. And although a team might be way more talented, if you just had a little bit of that hustle, a little bit of the heart, a little bit of that hard work, you would absolutely be able to overcome that. And, you know, it reminds me, you know, I know you were using Iverson earlier here with the Orlando Magic. We had a um, point guard named Daryl Armstrong, who was probably the smallest guy on the team by by you know football by basketball standards he was only six feet tall but he was super fast nobody could ever beat his unmatched energy his relentless hustle and I remember many many magic games where they would beat whoever it was that was visiting at the time who was clearly the favorite and it just kind of goes back to both of these thoughts I think you know th- this is why the greats just don't rely on talent they always have a coach. And Brant, you've talked about Tiger Woods has a coach. Yeah, you know LeBron James has a coach. Tom Brady has somebody that that coaches them. Even though they'll forever be, in, in perhaps in those cases, some of the greatest of all time. Well, I think they've got somebody like a you know like an Allen Stein Jr. who we've had on the show yeah. who works with people to to just make that one little bit of area a little bit better. Isn't it? Isn't it though? When I look at this quote. It, Every one of sort of the oh, the epitome of of movies that you walk out of feeling inspired, you know, Rocky, mm-hmm. the one about talent, yeah, is about hard work, yeah. right? Rudy, yeah, wasn't about yeah. talent; it was right. about hard work. So you start thinking in our just sort of American culture, we've almost said we really love the hard work aspect more than whatever particular talent you might be given. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, the, but you know yeah. what we love the most? We love the combination of talent and yes. hard work. I mean, look at Thank someone you. like a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning, you know, I mean, these are individuals or even that Jamie Foxx character in that 
any given Sunday. I mean, yep. he, he puked before games, right? Yes. Um, yes. But he had a natural ability, but he was also human. And I think there's something really attractive about someone who is genetically just amazing and like Michael Phelps, just built to do what they do, but they're also human and they know they have to work hard. I think that um, intersection is so interesting and so compelling. I yeah. think, I think and I um, can't believe I'm talking sports. Right. I yeah, love you it. are. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we just, I just finished watching uh, Silicon Valley from a few years ago with uh, <laughs> Thomas Middleditch and the whole team there uh just such a great series and as i i look at this and i even think even in the world of of coding um you sort of see this right so you get this someone who's got this natural ability to code and sort of write a language in such a way that i mean they're really genius about it yeah but the hard work aspect of not wanting anybody to sort of pollute his code or take, you know, I, I don't use commas. We don't use commas here. You know, like just in that little craziness, even of that show, we start to see that it's the combination of those two things, Laura, like you just said, that really yeah. create the behemoths, right? The the super success stories, not just someone who might win a game, you know, not the, not the team that you talk about that, you know, my college, I, I went to Florida Southern uh, College in Lakeland, go mocks. And, you know, our claim to fame uh, for many, many years was that we beat the University of Florida seven, nothing in football back when we had a football team in like mm-hmm. 1907. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Still counts. but, you know, that idea um, isn't the same as a history, a, as Jim would say, a heritage of consistently performing. And yeah. that is, I think, the difference. When you find talent and hard work com- uh, combined, mm-hmm. you see the iconic brands um, that we've yeah. come to know and love, right? That's right. That's right. Like an Apple or, you know, um, who knows, Zappos, Amazon, all of it, Microsoft, all of these storied brands are underdogs, really. I mean, there's natural talent, but they're also just there's a sense of scrappiness and willing to do what it takes to get the job done. So, yeah. And again, I think there's a certain integrity that I like to think about. And that's it's almost like a throughput in all of these stories people have their eye on the prize. They may not know, I want to build like, you know, a trillion dollar company, but they know what their mission is. They know their why. And I think if you know your why and you're super, super clear about it, boy, you, you can accomplish a lot more than you think. Yeah. We, we actually, you and I talked about this, uh, this confluence of these two ideas when we were on your show. I mean, you specifically wanted to talk about you know, the, the the perseverance, I think, of the hospitality industry. And I know your background mm-hmm. in HR and mine, for the most part, was in food and beverage. And, you know, I think about the hospitality world. I mean, that, you know, it's still the second largest industry in the U.S. Um, it represents like 14 million people. But the fact that there are so many either restaurants, hotels, retail stores, the only way that you're ever going to differentiate yourself is the is is the service ethic. I think the people that are ingrained in the business. And so it does require you to have drive and determination and people that will put in the hard work. That's that's how you will leapfrog, I think, your competitors. And, you know, we, we had somebody else on the show earlier when we first started off named uh, Keith Overton. You might not know him, but he was at that time 
the president and COO of uh, a place in Clearwater. It was one of the biggest resorts over there called Tradewinds. And his quote was, perseverance trumps all attributes and skills. So a, a little bit of what we're talking about here and his whole point was, if you can get people to care to come on board, it's way more important to him and to the leadership team than the experience or the skills or the pure talent. If you had all of that, definitely he'll take them. But he would much rather have somebody who had the culture, had that caring heart, who, you know, they'd be willing to follow people off the cliff versus just having the skills to come in and do the work. And I'm sure, again, you probably see this in your background, maybe even still now in your entrepreneur life, but certainly in your HR background, you'd love to have both. But I bet you'd rather have the ones that were hard workers, right? You know, I, I have to say, I want somebody who um, has empathy. I mean, I can train for a lot of stuff, but you can't yeah. train for empathy. But one of the things I worry about in our society is that our social fabric is so broken that people come to work with like sad hearts and loneliness and dependence issues and financial problems. And then they overinvest in work yeah. and then work does what it does. It eventually breaks your heart, right? Someone's a jerk or they don't communicate well. Your boss has a dumb idea or you have a down quarter. And when you don't have an identity outside of work where you don't have somewhere else to care, just like if you had a financial portfolio and you invested everything in one stock, that's too risky, right? Because something is always going to happen to that one company. That's what we do at work, and it becomes so dangerous, and it becomes so insane. When work lets you down, where do you go with your disappointment? Where do you go with your heartache? And it just perpetuates then further in the society where people are isolated, they're lonely, they're dependent on drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And so my advice out there for anybody right now who's really having their heart broken by work and feels that they have the capacity to be that employee, to demonstrate empathy and to follow someone off a cliff, is to go take that love and compassion and energy you have and go volunteer or yeah. double down on a relationship or go reconnect with your family. Work needs you, but those other areas of your life need you as well. And a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. And that includes the job of your life. Yeah. And I just think sometimes we over-index on work because our lives are broken. And I would rather have people give me 60% at work and make it a really good 60%, but also give a good 30% to their family, right? And whatever the number is, just make sure that you've got those really good relationships outside of work and be a whole individual. It's so important. Goes right back to your thought. Job worth doing yeah. is a job worth doing well. The only thing I would maybe disagree with you on this entire episode is I think you're super talented. Oh, I think you were wrong. Gosh <laughs> almighty. Look, you see, see how, how he waits to the end, Lori? It's in the mail. It Thank literally you, buddy. is the parting shot <laughs> yes. as he's. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Lori, I, I don't think there is a, a better direct correlation that your show is rising and you don't have a co-host. Mm. Um, I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where can people uh, get more of you? How can they stay in touch with you and stay connected with you? Sure. Well, um, my name is a little bit difficult to spell. It's Lori Rudiman, but I have a hack out there. I own the domain worklifecats.com. Worklifecats. Worklifecats, because it's really all I ever do. I work, life, cats. That's pretty awesome. much my life. <laughs> But I will, I will say this. You can also Google, I hate HR, and I'm up there. So feel free to find me that way as well. <laughs> that is definitely going to the show notes. And you said your book comes out in uh, January. You're still on track for that? 
It does. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. I'm trying to be helpful. And I think new year, new you, even if we have a pandemic and yeah. even if we still have some political problems. So January 5th, betting on you and it'll be available everywhere. Well, we love having uh, having you on the show. And uh, yeah, we talked about you being a consultant and a podcaster and a writer, but uh, I love that we can say that you're a badass as well. That, that goes right in the, the beginning of the show. So thank you so much, Lori, for spending a little bit of time with us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you down the road. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Rock on. Hey, rock stars, thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Yeah, and if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we both used to be exclusively represented by Kepler speakers. But now it's just me. Brant is on his own. So to hire Brant, good luck getting a hold of him. For me or both of us, contact us directly at thoughtsthatrock.com. Until next time, rock rock on. on!